So I'll just, most of you know me, but I'll just introduce myself very quickly. My name is Mark. Um, I've been coming to Calvary Chapel for about 17 years, just over 17 years. And I, I just, uh, it's been a great privilege and honor for God to allow me to um, serve in the church in different ways. Um, ser- teaching in the Sunday school, that was a great start. And I love teaching the children. And then to be able to teach the men's ministry as well, that was really great. And now, you know, the Lord has uh, brought me here to teach before you this morning. So it's a great honor. So I just want to say um, happy new year to you all. What a year 2020 was. Yeah, (laughs) we can only hope that 2021 is better. According to a recent headline on New Year's Day, it said, welcome to 2021 and two reasons to hope for a much brighter, brighter future. Brexit deal and Oxford vaccine will allow the UK to seize opportunities ahead, says the Prime Minister. This is the same Prime Minister who promised on the 16th of December that he would not change the rules to allow people to spend Christmas together, as this would be inhumane. However, three days later, he announced that there would be no Christmas for those in London and surrounding areas or those in Tier 4. Can we trust him? Another recent newspaper article that came out stated that Nostradamus predicted that 2021 will be the most terrible year, with world-ending asteroids and a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Not exactly a great reason to wish 2020 goodbye, but can we trust him? I love the, the psalm that Rob gave this morning, and it said in there, not to put our trust in princes, not to put our trust in men. I'm not here today to bring you stories and a news update about all the world's woes. I could stand here all day and do that. Yet I wish to share with you the great message that we can trust in the Lord. The whole Bible is inspired by God, as it says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Maybe this is your favorite verse in the Bible. Maybe you love John 3, verse 16 the most. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Perhaps you stand with Martin Luther and declare Romans 3, 21 and 22 to be the center of the whole Bible. It reads, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Maybe you love Joshua 24, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you lean on Romans 10 verse 9 as your rock of salvation verse, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Perhaps even you desire more towards the life of the apostles and your go-to verse is 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. It states, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. However, I haven't seen many bumper stickers or t-shirts with that verse on so it might not be that popular as we think. (laughs) We all have that verse that is a favorite that really has a special place in our hearts and encourages us when we rely on it and we call on it. Mine is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Many of you know this verse. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Other translations say and he will direct your paths. You will see a bit later on why I prefer the former translation I've used. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together, Father, amongst the saints. And I thank you, Lord, that we are able to share your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide my words and my thoughts today and that I would only speak what is truth and would bring wisdom and be able to edify your church. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we start looking at these verses, I just want to give you a bit of a background to the book of Proverbs. As many of you might know me from the men's study, I like to go back and do a bit of history. So uh, if we can turn in our Bibles firstly to um, 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from verse 1. Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because, we walk before you, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne. As it is this day, now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? This speech pleased the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, not have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice behold i give i have done according to your words see i have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there is none there has not been any one like you before you nor shall any like you arise after you and i have also given you what you have not asked both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the king all your days so if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So here we can see the history of how Solomon became the wisest man to ever live. And then if we look at Proverbs, go into Proverbs though, but there was... 
one more person who was wiser than Solomon, and that is Jesus Christ. As it says in Colossians 2 verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Solomon was the wisest man to live. Jesus became a man, and yeah, we just can't compare, can we? (laughs) So looking at chapter 3 then, we can see from verse 1 in chapter 3 that Solomon is writing to his son. He says, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. Solomon had probably spent a lot of time with his father David and had learned many of his ways. When we look at some of the Psalms, Rob read one today, but we can see that David many times spoke of trusting in the Lord. I'm just going to give you some of these examples here. In Psalm 2 verse 12, it said, Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Psalm 4 verse 5 says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And in verse 30 of that same psalm, it goes on to say, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. I could go on and I could read psalm after psalm after psalm because we know David, he, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who trusted in God. And Solomon had picked this up from his father. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What do we mean by the word trust? The Hebrew word for trust is batach, which means to trust in, to have confidence, to be bold, to be secure, to feel safe. Interestingly, the word trust appears over 180 times, but all in the Old Testament. It doesn't appear much in the New Testament, but it is synonymous with the Greek word pesteo, which actually means belief. It is used over 200 times in the New Testament for the word. When we look at John 1 verse 12, it states, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So to believe in his name is to trust in him. So trust in the Lord means to believe and to lean on him and not on to lean on your own understanding. We are to trust the Lord with all our heart. Solomon struggled at times to give his whole heart to God. We recently did a study of the book of Ecclesiastes that Kevin led us through and we saw there many times that God had struggled to trust with his whole heart. In 1 Kings 11, from verse 9 to 10, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So God demands everything from us. And does he not deserve everything from us? The price that he paid at the cross through his son, was this not enough to deserve everything from us? I've been reading a book I received from John MacArthur titled Anxious for Nothing. Great book. If any of you want it, you can get it for free from them. It's a really awesome book. And there's a, there's a story in there that I'd like to share with you. Um, and it's about the great missionary George 
Muller. So I'd just like to read this a bit to you. George Muller knew a lot about faith. The best way anyone could know anything, he lived by it. His early life was one of gross wickedness. By the time he was 20, the age he became a Christian, he had already done time in jail. But then the, his interest and attitude radically changed. After Muller spent years training for the ministry, he went to England to do missionary work amongst Jewish people. When he and his wife moved to the British seaport of Bristol in 1832, they were horrified to see the masses of homeless orphans living and dying in squalid, narrow streets and foraging for food in garbage heaps. The Mullers, with an unshakable belief in the Bible, were convinced that if Christians took Scripture seriously, there were no limits to what they could achieve for God. They set out to feed, clothe, and educate destitute orphan children. At the end of the Mullers' lifetime, the homes they established cared for more than 10,000 orphans. Unlike many today who say they live by faith, the Mullers never told anyone but God of their need for funds. He always abundantly provided through their thankful prayers and humble waiting on him. George Muller said, where faith begins, anxiety ends. When anxiety begins, faith ends. Because of his exemplary life, we can believe he knew what he was talking about. I think this is just an amazing example of trusting in the Lord. And he, he trusted him with his, all his heart. Lean not on your own understanding. This is an interesting bit, isn't it? This does not mean that we don't have common sense or we just give up thinking altogether. That's not what it's saying. But what I think it means is that when it comes to understanding the truth of God's word, we trust and believe in what he is saying and not what we think or want it to say. Proverbs 28, 20, verse 26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Many times I think we try to understand God's word in a way that is pleasing to us. Or maybe we want God to agree with us as we know better. Surely he will understand where I'm coming from and transform to my way of thinking. There are many times in my own life when I have thought that my ways are good, it makes sense to me. I pray that God will agree with me on this. Let my will be done. <laughs> We've all done that. <laughs> but what does God say about this? Well, Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I'd like us to turn to Isaiah 55. And I want to read a bit of the passage there. Obviously, Isaiah 55 is a passage that you all probably know very, very well. But I'd like to read from verse 6. Seek the Lord that he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Are you ready? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, 
and make it bring forth and bud, that it might give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. You see, it's God's way, isn't it? It's, we need to trust in the Lord, not on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Again, we are asked to give everything to God. Just as it said earlier, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here again, it says, in all your ways. This not only means at times when we are troubled or need help. It's easy to cry out to God when we need him, when we're going through bad times in our life when we are ill, when we need something, we cry out to God. But do we call upon him when we think that we are in control, when we think that everything is going good? We are told in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast in all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So we are told to humble ourselves and cast all of our cares upon him. That means the little things, the little things that we might think are not important to him. He wants them all. Acknowledge him. What does acknowledge mean? It might conjure up a thought of recognizing somebody with the nod of a head, for instance. You know, I acknowledge you, you know. It's that type of word, acknowledge. But is that what it is? It is so much more than that. The Hebrew word is yada which means to know, to perceive and find, to seek, to discern, to know by experience, to have knowledge of. It is a personal relationship. That's what it means to acknowledge him. The similar word in the Greek for the New Testament is gnosko. I'm sure Kevin's brought that word up before in one of his studies, <laughs> which also means to know, to understand and perceive. If we look at where it is used in Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. That is the same word for acknowledge. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here we can see to know God to acknowledge him, it is to have a personal, righteous relationship with him. And he will make our path straight. This is the translation that I said in the beginning that I prefer to the New King James Version, which says he will direct your path. Yes, God does direct our paths. He does lead us in areas of our life. He has given us the Holy Spirit, who according to John fourteen twenty six, is God, who is our helper our teacher, and the one who brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus has said to us. But if we look at the promise here that he will make our path straight, what is he promising? Let us look at Proverbs 2 from verse 7. It says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. The opposite of the righteous path is found in verse 12 of chapter 2. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of unrighteousness, 
of brightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, who delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. So God is promising us that if we trust in him and lean not on our own understanding and acknowledge him in all our ways, that we will not be led down paths of crookedness with the wicked, but we will have straight paths to peace and eternal life. Proverbs 3.17 says of wisdom, her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. So, looking ahead to this year, how can we trust in the Lord? I was listening to a really good sermon the other day by a preacher called Spencer de Berg. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he, he really um, delivers a good word. And he mentioned three, three really good points for us to trust in the Lord. I'm going to share with you. And the reason I'm sharing his points with you, because I, I did come up with some, but his is so much better than mine. So <laughs> that's why I went with his. I didn't copy him word for word. I did, I did elaborate, but the points are his. <laughs> Firstly, how can we trust in the Lord? No. We need to know God and his character. How do we do this? By reading our Bible every day. The word of God is alive and true. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God, that's how we get to know God. Kevin sent out a newsletter to you guys yesterday, and he mentioned in there about at the bottom, you'll see if you've had it, about a one or two year reading plan. I would really encourage you to join up to one of those reading plans as we start this year. You can do one year, two years, you can join any reading plan, but read the Bible. That is the only way we will get to know God, is by reading the Word of God. Second point, talk. Talk to God about everything, all the time. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Charles Spurgeon, later on in his life, he said this to his students, I have found it a most profitable practice to utter up to God a few lines of prayer in between everything I do all day long. Maybe we're too busy to pray. Maybe we feel lonely, bored, anxious to pray. But Paul tells us in Philippians 4 verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How relevant is that verse to Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6? Past your own understanding, through Jesus Christ, trusting in the Lord. There's such a similarity between the two, isn't there? Thirdly, give. Give. What are we supposed to give? We're supposed to give everything to God. All your heart, all of your life. Psalm 86, 11, in the NIV translation says, Teach me your way, Lord. 
that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. An undivided heart, that should be our prayer to God. God doesn't allow for 50-50, 60-40, not even 99-1. He wants 100%. C.S. Lewis, in one of his later um, sermons that he did before he he retired, um, he answered the question, what God wants of you. And this is what he said. It is not so much our time and not so much our attention that God demands. It is not even all our time and all our attention. It is ourselves. For each of us, the Baptist words are true. He must increase and I decrease. He will be infinitely merciful to our repeated failures. But I know of no promise that he will accept a deliberate compromise. For he has, in the last resort, nothing to give us but himself. And he can give that only insofar as our self-affirming will retires and makes room for him in our souls. Let us make up our minds to it. There will be nothing of our own left over to live on. No ordinary life. I do not mean that each of us will necessarily be called to be a martyr or even an aesthetic. That's as may be. For some, nobody knows which, the Christian life will include much leisure, many occupations we naturally like. But these will be received from God's hands. In a perfect Christian, they would be as much as part of his religion, his service, as his hardest duties. And his feasts would be as Christian as his fasts. What cannot be admitted, what must exist only as an undefeated but daily resisted enemy, is the idea that something that is our own, some area in which we are to be out of school on which God has no claim. For he claims all because he is love and he must bless. He cannot bless unless he has us. When we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death. Therefore, in love, he claims all. There is no bargaining with him. Very powerful words there from C.S. Lewis. And, you know, as I said before, does his cross, does his sacrifice not warrant all of us? Has he not paid the price for us? You know, the thing is, though, as we're coming towards the end here and we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper, we come as one who has not always trusted and obeyed. We have come as one who has not given all our hearts and all our ways. But our God is faithful and just to forgive us. But we come to communion in the remembrance of him who gave all of his body and his blood for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today, Lord, and I thank you that you're able, that we are able to trust in you. I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom, Lord, to lean not on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you, to know you, to give our all to you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, you have promised us that as we trust in you, that as we continue throughout this year, that you will make our path straight and not lead us down the crooked path of the wicked but that we will follow the path of wisdom to eternal peace and everlasting life. 
Teach us, Lord, to spend time in your word, Father, to commune with you daily, to be filled with your peace that passes all our understanding. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.